So I'm continuing our series this morning, The Truth, Jesus in a Post-Truth Culture. Uh, I started two weeks ago by painting a picture of the culture that we live in. And the, the word that I used, or the words that I used to describe it were tolerantly intolerant, if that makes sense. Sometimes you're like, oh, I've got to get my head around that. What does that mean? Um, and what I was saying is that culture has changed monumentally and massively. It's like tectonic plates that have been shifting over the last 10 years with the rise of the internet, um, which is both an amazing thing and a challenging thing as well. Um, it has changed the way that people think. And if we're not careful, we don't realize that. And one of the things for the church is to try and be to pinpoint what is it that's actually changed. We know that something's changed. But sometimes it's like, well, is it this or is it this? And um, in the first talk, I, I said there are seven values by which our culture now would hold to. And so um, do go back and listen to that. I'm not going to go through them this, this morning. But at the heart of them, they could be summarized as all about self. Self-identification. I am whoever I say I am. Makes me think of Eminem. If I wasn't, then why would I say I am? Anyway, um, but <laughs> move on, James. Uh, that how as a church, we one of the challenges over the last 20 years is to be become more relevant as society and culture has changed, what the church has done, if they wanted to open their doors to not become irrelevant. The problem is you reach a cultural tipping point where you look exactly identical to culture that the church of Jesus Christ looks no different at all. And then in that, it becomes utterly irrelevant because people are like, well, why would I want to go to something that I'm already in? And I talked about there are places that do it better than we do. <laughs> so um, so that was what I looked at, gospel resilience. Ian picked it up last week, looked at gospel identity, and he talked about how we're not supposed to find our identity within ourselves or within the world. Instead, gospel identity is found in the truth of who Je Jesus says that we are. That's our identity. It's not found by looking inside. It's like, oh, there's my identity. It's like, no, it's found through Jesus. Um, he used the analogy of being adopted, how when a child is adopted, they immediately become part of their new identity. Their name changes. Uh, by name and status, they will never be more or less a part of their of that family, that their identity is secure. However, it can take a little bit of time to learn to act and behave and think as the family does. And so Romans 12, 2, be renewed by the transforming of your mind. And so the truth found in Jesus reveals and confirms our identity. So we've looked at gospel resilience, we've looked at gospel identity. Today I want to talk about another gospel, <laughs> gospel reality. So what does this look like? Uh, how does the truth change us? Why is that important? And my talk could be summarized with this phrase, the phrase, transformed by the truth. Transformed by the truth. In fact, a lot of the meetings that I tend to have with people revolve around this question of change and transformation. People want to know, can I actually change? What, what are some of the mechanisms and levers by which change actually happens in a Christian's life? And how does the truth change us? I don't know about you, but when we use the word truth, 
it can sound quite harsh. It can sound quite authoritarian, quite distant, quite cerebral. It's like this, the truth is up there floating somewhere. It's a bit scary. Truth, truth, truth. And people that use that word you feel a little bit scared about. Um, I've got the truth and you don't. But when we're talking about truth, what are we talking about in reality? And I found this so helpful. I mentioned this in the first talk. When you think about truth, think about the person of Jesus. Because then it becomes seeable. Suddenly you're like, it stops being this truth. It's, it's found in a person. He is not harsh. He is beautiful. He is personal. He is loving. He is perfect. The truth makes sense in Jesus. As we read the Gospels, as we see the nature of him, his personhood, how he acted, we see what truth looks like. The truth is shown manifest in a person. That's what truth looks like. In John 17, Jesus is praying to his father. It's this beautiful, intimate passage that I want to look at this morning. And, and in it, he really talks about how the truth changes us. And this prayer, so if you grab your Bibles, it's John 17, verses 13 through to 23. It will just come up on the screens as well. But to put this passage in context, Jesus is praying this to his father just before he's betrayed. And he says this, I'm coming to you now, talking about the Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the disciples at this point. It's like, I want the disciples to have this joy. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I'm of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. This was the point I was making through gospel resilience. As followers of Jesus, we're not called to be the same as the world. We are called to be different, to be set apart. Verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I'm not just praying for the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us, the people who come afterwards, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the, the, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Throughout this passage, it's talking about this word sanctification. There's quite a lot of ififications in Christianity. Justification, sanctification, glorification. I'm sure there's lots of others. But um, sometimes we read these words and go, my brain's just switched off. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're like, what does that actually mean? To be sanctified means to be set apart. It means to be made holy, to be pure. He wants us to be holy. In other words, he wants us to be transformed to look more like Jesus. John, John Wimber, one of his great gifts, he, he led the vineyard movement. He started the vineyard movement. And what I love is that sometimes he takes some of these concepts and he brings them down into everyday language. And he says this, one of my favorite ones. He says, I want to grow up before I grow old. I want to grow up before I grow old. 
that is a great definition of sanctification. It's like, I don't just want to live the same year on repeat every year. I want to change. I want to look more like him. And Jesus wants to fill us with his power, with his nature, with his presence. And you might say, oh, do you know, I want to be like that. And Jesus says, great. In this passage, he says, I'm doing it now and I'm going to give it to you. So verse 22 says, I'm giving them my glory. And verse 24 says, I want them to receive my glory. So you've got these two things going on. That's quite a challenge. What does this mean? It means that there's a process. I want to grow up before I grow old. This is the process of being becoming more like Jesus, the process of sanctification. So how does he get his glory into you? Does he just zap you? It's like, I just need more. Zap me now. Make me like Jesus. And Or is there more of a method? And I would love to suggest that there are two main ways that the Lord um, that we become to look more like Jesus. And that is through the word and through the spirit. We have a phrase in the vineyard, word and spirit. And that really is meant to describe who we are at our core. Uh, and the power is found in the tension of these two things, word and spirit. If you go to either extreme, you're in trouble. So if you just go to the complete extreme of the word, this is what R.T. Kendall says, if we have the word without the spirit, we tend to dry up. If we have the spirit without the word, we tend to blow up. So, and basically that's just saying, we kind of throw the teachings of Jesus out the window. We're like, we just need more of the encounter of the Lord and we forget who we are and what we're about. We forget what's important. We forget the truth. If we have both word, spirit and word, we tend to grow up and fire up. I love that. It's such a brilliant picture. Um, I, was, I was just, um, the Lord reminded me of this story as I was just in worship, as I was talking about word and spirit. I was brought up in a more conservative church. I was brought up in a Baptist church, which was brilliant. You know, it was wonderful. Taught me many things. Very grateful for that time. But when I was about 17, my parents... Um, they took a sabbatical from the church for three months because my mum had always had this sense and she would, she would say, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. Um, and so they were like, we just, we just need more than this. We, we need the spirit. And what she was talking about was the spirit. It's like, we need the spirit. And so they went on a journey and it was a time back in 94, 95, 96. I was 17 at the time. And, oh my goodness, my parents experienced the Spirit in a profound way. Um, so I was 17, kind of just wondering what was going on. And my parents came back utterly changed. They'd gone, it was at the Toronto Blessing when the power of God moved. And so I came back and my mum was really profoundly affected by the power of God. Um, to the point where I'd kind of be walking through the kitchen and she'd have a worship CD. This was the early Vineyard worship albums. And she'd just be there in the spirit in the middle of the kitchen. And I was like, Shabba, what's happened to my mother? <laughs> I was 17. And she'd just be having a moment, like maybe quarter of an hour just with the Lord in the middle of the kitchen. And so it suddenly confronted me. I was thrown into this reality of going, what, what's happened to my parents? And um, she was really worried about going back to work. She was a teacher. 
Because when the spirit, she just used to shake a lot. It was a bit like the Quakers back in the day that she'd hear the name Jesus and she'd, she'd be away. And so I was suddenly forced into this, what's this? What's happened to my parents? And so I decided to chaperone them to a few things. <laughs> they obviously needed me to guide them during this troublesome time. <laughs> and what I'd realized is they'd found the Holy Spirit, you know, and it, it, I, I'm not, what I'm not saying is that they hadn't got some of the Holy Spirit before, but they'd had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and it was complete, it, it threw their life upside down from that moment on, and one of the things, you know, it talks in the, the Bible about judging things by the fruit, you know, it's like, what is the fruit of this? My mother was uh, utterly changed, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all of those things, she was a different woman, the, the joy of the Lord had entered her soul, and she's never quite been the same since. My parents are actually in Central, um, Cardiff Central. They moved with us when we planted the church. And they are wonderful, wonderful, godly people. But they led me into that journey of, of the spirit. And so word without spirit, we dry up because suddenly it's like, well, where's the, you know, where's the power? And then spirit without word, we blow up those two things. Um, just coming back into the passage, we're told all the way through this passage that the way God's glory comes is through the truth. The way that we are transformed is through the truth. It's the word of God down in verse 17, which is really, in a sense, the key verse. Jesus says this to the Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So what is it that's truth? The word. He's talking about the word of God. Um, Sometimes we're like, well, what, what's he talking about when he's talking about the word in this moment? He's actually talking about this body of truth that he shared with them, this body of truth. Um, uh, down in verse 20, Jesus makes it very clear that he's not just praying for the 12 disciples. He's praying for all of those who what, believe in me through their message. Jesus says, I have received a set of words. He doesn't even say the word, a set of words Many places he uses the plural, the words, a doctrine, a body of truth, a body of information. I've received a group of these things. Basically, he's saying, I've received a group of truth. Now, that is what we would now call our scriptures. Um, and then they're passing it along to other people. So, in other words, this body of truth, the word, the truth transforms us. Truth is the way that God perfects you and recreates you. And makes you holy. Sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. Now on the one hand, many people, when they say, I'm a Christian and I want to grow and I want to look more like Jesus, they are completely passive about it. It's like, I want to change. I just don't want to do anything. And so what happens is they just wait and they sit there going, Lord, you're just going to have to do something because I really can't be bothered to change anything by myself. I just need a power encounter. You are going to have to do all of the work. They believe they know what they should be doing and they know how they should live, but they don't have the power to do it. So they just sit back and say, give me the power. Now, the trouble with that is that Jesus says sanctification, becoming holy, does not come by just being zapped from heaven. It's a shame, isn't it? Do you know what? I can't be bothered to change anything, Lord. I'm just going to go for the encounter. You are going to do all the work. It comes through the truth. It's the truth. It's the, now, what I'm not underplaying is the fact that we can come in and God can change something 
through being prayed for. Absolutely, God can change situations. It's the both working in the tension, though. It's not one or the other. Some of you, let me give you an example. Some of you are students. Others of you are students of life. And you know you're not allowed to be passive when the way in which you're going to graduate is through learning. So what makes you into a graduate? You graduate generally by working hard. You have to take the information, the facts, and you've got to work it in you so that you know it, so that you can pass the test. You can't be passive. So, for instance, you can't take the medical textbook, stick it under the pillow, never look at it, sleep in it, and go, Jesus, tonight would you do something extraordinary? Would you download that book into my brain? Well, I slept on it. Surely that's enough. I've done my bit. Give me the transference. It won't be enough. You have to drill it in. You have to reflect on it. You have to discuss it. You have to grapple with it. You've got to spend time with it. In order to get the truth into our hearts, we can't just be passive. This is where we need both word and spirit. My understanding of what this text is saying is when God deals with the will, he never forces the will, but he engages the will with the truth. So he's showing us this truth. He's giving us revelation as we drink it into a soul. It's like, oh, yes, Lord, give me your eyes to see what you're doing. Show me what the word is actually saying. Put this truth into me. Let me give you a little example of what this looks like. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 says this. It's a challenging passage. It's talking about sexual self-control. It says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Okay, challenging verse. Look at what's going on in this passage. There's two things going on. On the one hand, he's not passive, is he? He doesn't say, well, these sexual desires are very strong. God, you're just going to have to get rid of them. That's not passive. Flee from sexual immorality. There's an activeness to that. It's not just sit in it. It's like run away from it. Do everything that you can to get away from it. On the other hand, he doesn't appeal directly to the will. He doesn't say stop being sexually immoral. Instead, what does he, he says? Flee from sexual immorality. Then there's this beautiful next thing. It says do you not know? And then it, it kind of leads into this next book. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you? It's like, whom you've received from God, you are not your own. You were brought at a price. So what does it mean? What Paul is saying is you can't, if you can't flee sexual morality, if you don't have sexual self-control, you aren't thinking. Because suddenly when it begins to come in, it's like, oh, I'm not my own. You brought, I've been brought at a price. Lord, I want you to be Lord. I was thinking about this as I was mulling this whole concept of change. And the guy that I was talking to earlier in the week, I was just saying, do you know what? There's an issue of lordship that always goes on throughout our life. And that's the moment where we put God back on his throne and we say, you know better. Throughout discipleship, throughout transformation, there's this, just this moment where we're like, Lord, I surrender. You know better than I do. And that's the beginning point of transformation. It's just that obedience moment. What Paul is saying is, do you want the power? The power comes as you see the truth. 
This is the principle. God gets his glory into you by taking the truth and putting it in front of you and by his Holy Spirit helping you to grasp it, helping you to understand it, helping to make it real to you. Word and spirit. When a, when a Christian actually experiences power, do you know what they say generally? They say, I never saw that before. Something shifted. It's like, oh, I'm thinking about this differently. I'm looking at this situation differently. I've had a paradigm shift. That's how the truth comes in and how you get the power. Sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. When Paul says in Ephesians 1, I pray every day that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. I'm, I'm praying that you will look at this differently, that the Lord will just open your eyes to see what's going on, that you may grasp the hope of your calling and the riches of your inheritance and the great power in you who believe. What is Paul saying? He says, if only you would see the truth and realize the truth, you'd have the power. He's not praying for power. He's praying for truth. Show them truth. Out of the truth comes the power. If I'm worried... If I'm lacking sexual self-control, I have to go to the Word of God. I have to go to the truth. I have to meditate on it. I have to study it. I have to understand it. I have to grasp it. I have to ask the Spirit. Spirit, I know that you don't work apart from the Word. Sanctify me through the truth. Give me power to grasp the width and the height and the breadth and the depth of your amazing love. And in that, suddenly this transformation begins to occur. We cannot, we cannot keep these two things separate. They go hand in hand. Transformation comes with these two together. I love this verse in John 16, which talks about the Spirit. But when he, the Spirit of truth, again, sometimes we use this word spirit and it can seem quite woolly. But when he, the spirit of truth, it's almost naming what he does. The Holy Spirit. Sometimes we get rid of that holy, that prefix to the word. I don't even know that's the right word, but hope it is. Um, the word in front of it, it's like Holy Spirit. This is what the Spirit of God does. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. That's how the, that's how the truth comes into our life through these two things. I just want to move into a last point just as I finish. What is the outworking of the truth in our lives? So what does it actually look like? Again, this is all about gospel reality. What's the reality of what I'm talking about? What does it feel like? What does it look like? At the heart of it, truth brings freedom. Ian spoke on this last work last week. You'll never see God reveal truth just to make you cleverer. It's like, oh, man, I'm so changed. You're so clever right now. If only. He doesn't do that. Bill Johnson says this. He says, truth by nature is the transforming power of God to instill freedom in the life of those who embrace it. So it's not just truth for truth. The outworking, the fruit, what it will look like is freedom in our life. The truth comes in by power, bang, I am now free. It could be said that freedom exists in a person's life to the degree to which they embrace truth from the heart. It's more than a mental agreement to a concept called truth. It's a heartfelt yes to a way of life. It's me saying, yes, Jesus, have it all. You lead. You're in charge. I know some people who talk about the truth a lot, but their actions and behaviors are not loving. What's happening in that instance? They're not holding 
grace and truth together. At the heart of it, we must always remember that it's through grace that the power of truth comes, that we're free because of grace, that I'm here, that I know Jesus because of grace. It's all through grace. Grace and truth go together. Jesus put it this way, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Ian spoke on this last week, John 8. What's the opposite of truth and freedom? Lies and imprisonment. That's what it feels like. I, if you feel like you're all wrapped up and bound up, that's not the Lord. That, you're not free. You need the truth to come in. Lies are costly. They, they steal life from anybody who embraces them. They will steal our life. If I believe a lie, I empower the liar. I give it prominence and I give it power over me. Entertaining a lie can have a, a huge effect on us. Spirit, soul, and body. It's a poison that works into our being to destroy our, our identity and our purpose. The devil lies about who God is and in turn who we are. It's all about identity and then we link back gospel reality, gospel identity, gospel resilience. They're all interlinked. One last quote from Bill Johnson before I finish with the story. He says this, I can't afford to have a thought in my head about me that he doesn't have in his head about me. That has been going around my mind for the last two weeks. I can't afford to have a thought in my head about me that he doesn't have in his head about me. We're all in the process of growing up before we grow old, sanctification, becoming holy. I want to just give you an example in my own life of what this looks like, because I think, again, it's easy to talk about stuff. Each one of us has lies that need breaking in our lives in order that the truth can come in and bring freedom. Recently, I had some revelation in my own life. I've always struggled with retreat days by myself. I love retreat days with other people because they're not really retreats. They're actually just a party. <laughs> I am good at party. I'm very happy in that place. But silence and solitude, I've just always found it really difficult. And as I began to unpack this, I was like, Lord, what is it in here? Why am I struggling with this? Because I found that there were some lies and some wrong thinking that I'd set up. I like spending time with the Lord. So... That's not a challenge for me. I like it. I enjoy his presence. I come back refreshed. So what's going on? Two things. One, my need to be needed. <laughs> it didn't feel productive. I'm like, oh, but I could meet up with somebody. I could do this. I could achieve this. I could be productive. So my productivity is around people, not about us. So I have a lie in here that the Lord needs me to be productive because that's the greatest thing going on is James in his super pastor pants, as I like to call it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can rescue this situation. Lie. The Lord does not need me to do that. That's the first one. Second, I don't really like being by myself because I fear loneliness. That's quite deep. The irony is I'm not alone. So... <laughs> I have got this, uh, but wouldn't it be really lonely? Wouldn't, well, what, what would I do? I'm so scared of being lonely. I'm not lonely. I'm with the Lord. So I have these two lies that are stopping me from being more intimate with the Lord. Genuinely. It's a, it's a big thing. It's not a small thing. What's happened? I've unearthed these lies. I've got revelation. Truth's come in. I can see it. Okay, I can see what's going on. Now, that doesn't mean I'm completely free. I am not out the other end of this yet. I'm still in it. 
I'm still in the midst of it. I'm going, oh, Lord, I've, I've got these lies. How do I? So the truth's come in and it's beginning to break. But actually, I'm going to have to outwork these with the Lord. And I'm just going to have to keep processing this. This is ongoing. This is the process. I am not yet free. I want to be free. And I want to be more intimate with the Lord. So that's a process of what happens as lies come to the surface, we begin to see them. It's the process of sanctification, the process of being changed. So in finishing, gospel reality. I would not be doing this job if I didn't think that change could really happen in people. I'd much rather go and get another job. I do this because I believe that Jesus wants to change people, that he wants us to look more like Christ, that this room in a year's time would look more like him rather than less like him or exactly the same. If, it, if you're coming here to listen to me each week and you look exactly the same, then I'm deeply depressed. It's true though, isn't it? It's like he's the hope of the world who changes us. Yeah, we're not going to have it all together, but I, I long for transformation. The truth transforms us. Word and spirit working together and truth brings freedom. Why don't we stand?